Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, Lord of glory, Lord of love. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, looking to the sun above. Not the clouds of sin and sadness drive the dark. Oh, my God. 
forward and receive our morning offering at this time, please. Brother Mike Hearn, will you bless this offering? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for all your blessings, Lord. For all that you are, we just praise you today and lift you up, Lord. God, we just pray that you just come down in this place this morning, Lord, as your uh, brother Jason brings your word, Lord, just hide it behind your cross, Lord. Just give us what we need this morning, Lord. And Father, just for all that you do and all you bless us with, we just thank you and praise you. And if we give back a portion to you, Lord, just use it for your glory. We love you, Lord. We ask it all in the precious Don't worry, I'm not going to start preaching out of turn. I know it's not my time. It is a tremendous opportunity in the life of a church to get to participate in baby dedication services. It is an honor uh, to pastor families who wish to dedicate their children uh, to the Lord. 
And church, it should be an honor to us as a body that God would bless us so mightily with so many babies because he trusts that we will honor him uh, as we see them grow. Uh, and so I am glad that we have this opportunity this morning. I want to ask uh, Eric and Crystal Landis to, uh, to bring baby Micah this way and join me on stage. I want to ask their uh, family that would like uh, to come and gather here in front of the front pew. So all of the uh, family come and gather here in front of the front pew if you're able. You can come on around so you can. We dedicate our children to the Lord and to the promise of raising the child in a God-fearing and God-honoring home and church family. It is an acknowledgement that not only do you give promise to raise your child to honor God, but also that the church will be dedicated to the task of raising this child. Dedication is in no way salvation nor a promise thereof. However, we do believe and stand on the scripture in Proverbs 22.6. That if we train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. This blessed occasion to dedicate a child and the desire to follow him and submit is truly a special time. Eric, the Bible says that you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church, sacrificially, totally, and completely. Will you love Crystal in this way, thus showing Micah the example of a godly man? Eric, you're commanded to be the head of your household. Will you lead your family in the way that Christ leads the church? Yes. Crystal, you're commanded to submit to Eric as he loves and leads you, being his complement and his helpmate, showing the biblical example of a godly woman to Micah. Will you love Eric this way? Yes. Will you seek to honor your husband, nurture your family, according to the example of a virtuous woman from Scripture? Eric and Crystal together, will you submit Micah to the ways of the Lord, seeking to show her what it means to follow Christ? Yes. Will you provide a God-honoring and God-fearing environment for Micah? Yes. And will you show Micah the importance of a life devoted to Christ and the church? Yes. Family, will you encourage Eric and Crystal as they seek to raise Micah in the ways of the Lord? Will you support and pray for Eric and Crystal as they do this? And for the entire congregation, will you pray fervently and regularly for Eric, Crystal, and Micah? Will you be examples to this family in how to train a child? And will you love and honor this child as if it were your own? We will now have a prayer of dedication. God, our Father, we come to you. We thank you for this beautiful child that you have so blessed this family with. And God, we thank you that as a church, you have blessed us with the opportunity to see uh, this baby not only born, but get to watch as he grows 
and as she prospers and as she's nurtured. God, we pray that as a church family that we would be a part of that, that we would help Eric and Crystal in any way they can, fervently praying for them, fervently praying for this child, that we would watch her grow and submit to your ways and be obedient to you, ultimately surrendering her life to you and making you her Lord and Savior. God, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity as a church. And it is in your precious name that we pray, Father. Amen. Just didn't put it back where it went, did he? I'm just aggravating you. Ain't this a good-looking group of people up here? Tell you what, they uh, they meet twice a week, believe it or not, to to work hard uh, to worship the Lord as close to perfection as we can get. Now we'll never reach that until we reach that shore. But uh, I am so thankful to be a part of a church that has a group of people like this that is willing to come and rehearse the Lord's music. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand. I usually let you sit for a while, but I'm going to let you stand as we sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound.
and amen. Were it not for grace, should be the rallying cry of all the believers in all of the land. Were it not for grace. What a wonderful morning to gather here in the house of the Lord. What a wonderful morning to gather here in the house of the Lord, to look to your left, to look to the right, to look in front of you, to look behind you, and realize that we're all just a big bundle of messes. Amen? Were it not for grace, we would all be bound for the same eternal punishment and getting exactly what we deserved, but the marvelous, wonderful grace and mercies of God, that we are forgiven, that we are pardoned, and that we are clothed with His righteousness. This morning, we get to dive into a subject, and I believe that knowing most of you, I believe that all of you and myself will all fit into this category of those to whom this sermon applies. Now, I'll give a disclaimer, that way if this sermon doesn't apply to you, you are welcome uh, to leave at this point and not listen to it. But this sermon is only for those among us who may have sinned or failed in serving the Lord in some way. So if you've never sinned and you've never failed in serving the Lord in some way, feel free to go at this time. The sermon, well, it just doesn't apply to you this morning, but... If I didn't know where he was going, I'd think that dude had a pride problem. But uh, he's going to check the TVs. I'm just kidding. Just great timing, impeccable even. <laughs> this morning we look at this subject, our failures and God's grace. Our failures and God's grace. We're going to look at Simon Peter this morning and his failure and perhaps see some things from the life of Peter and see some things uh, from Peter's failure, perhaps his, his most noted failure even, this morning we're going to be looking at. And we're going to look at these things and say, what are the things that Simon did that if we pay attention to, we might be able to apply to our own lives and avoid the same pitfalls that Simon Peter fell into? How can we be conscious of the things that he was dealing with and apply them to our own lives and prevent some of our own failures? And of course, we're going to look at the grace of God and how in spite of our failures we can be forgiven even though we don't deserve it. Please stand if you're able this morning for the reading of the holy words of our holy God from Luke chapter 22 beginning in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Skip ahead in the same chapter to verse 54. And having arrested him, they laid him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. 
But Peter said, man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Let us pray. God our Father... We pray that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your word. We thank you for your presence in the music portion of our service this morning. We pray that our our songs were pleasing to you, Lord God, that they lifted your name and your name alone, Lord God. God, we pray that the preached word would do the same thing, Lord, and just simply magnify your holy and worthy name because you alone are worthy of our attention. You alone are worthy of our praise. God, please... Bind any devil or any demon from this place that might hinder us from focusing on you for the next few minutes together. God, let us hear from you this morning. For it is in your precious, saving name that we pray, Jesus, as all of God's children said. Amen. You may be seated. Now remember where we're at and where we're heading in our text this morning. Jesus is in his last moments of his earthly ministry before his death. He he has gathered his disciples together in the upper room to give them some final uh, instructions and and to take communion together before his death. He, He says earlier in this chapter that he greatly desired to institute communion with them and to take of this last supper with them. And as he's taking of the last supper with his disciples and as he's given the instructions to his disciples, as he knows what is coming, what the impending moments are, Jesus drops a bomb on his disciples. He says, in fact, one of you, one of you that I've gathered in this room, one of my closest 12, one of you will betray me. Now the disciples at that point spurn a great debate. Jesus has said to them that one of them is going to betray And the disciples began an argument about which one of them was the greatest. Which one of them was the best follower of Jesus. Which one of them was going to be counted as the greatest in his kingdom. Which one was going to reign supreme as the one who had been most close. Now I am sure that if there were a season of of argument going on here, that Peter being as boisterous as he finds himself in Scripture would have probably been part of that discussion. He would have probably been one who would have stood and and said some things in that discussion. I mean, after all, Peter had been privy with James and John to things that the other disciples had not seen. He'd been there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He'd been there when Jesus called Jairus' daughter back from the dead into the land of the living. Peter was going to be there in the Garden of Gethsemane. No doubt Peter had a, a great argument as to being the greatest. He was the leader among the disciples. Remember, Peter was the one who stepped out and walked upon the water, even if just for a moment. So he had a great argument, no doubt, in his his hands. And that brings us in our text to where we're at this morning as the disciples are arguing about which one is greatest. Jesus looks to, to, to Simon Peter. He says, Simon, Simon. Simon, Simon. Any of you have a first and middle name? Do you ever know that that's how you knew you was fixing to get in trouble? It's when mama used both of them. Jason Mark. Whoa. You know what I'm talking about. 
Simon, Simon. I believe that would have gotten Peter's attention. Simon, Simon. Satan's asked for you. He's going to sift you as wheat. You know what that means? Simon, I need you to get ready. Satan intends to put your faith to the test. He's going to put you through the ringer. He's come to me and asked specifically that he can sift you, that he can sift you as wheat. Look forward at verse 33 with me, though, as we look to our first point this morning, the pride that leads us astray. The pride that leads us astray. Look at verse 33. What's Peter saying? He said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter gets news that Satan is looking to put it to him. Peter, Satan is looking to sift you as wheat. He's looking to test your faith. He's looking to do to you like he did to Job in the Old Testament. He's come to me specifically seeking you. He wants to do some things to you. Peter, you're going to be put to the test. And Peter, in verse 33, instead of responding the way we should all respond when God comes to us and says the fiery trial is among us. I mean, if if verse 33 read the way it should read, Peter would say, God have mercy on me. God, strengthen me. God, place your hand of protection on me. God, give me the ability to glorify you in what's about to happen. But instead of withering down and saying, God, I need your help, he says, Peter, you're going to be sifted. And Peter says what? I got this, Jesus. Don't you worry about me, Jesus. You got your own things going on, Jesus. I'm your guy. I'm the one that can handle it. I'm the leader of this group. You remember me, Jesus. I got this under control. Satan can sift all he wants to, Jesus, but I got your back all the way to death. If you look at Mark's account of this same story in Mark 14, 29, you'll see Peter goes a step further with his pride. He says, hey, Jesus, all these other cats, they may fall away, but me, I'll be with you to the end. Separates himself even from the other disciples, doesn't he? He says, man, they may fall away, but not me, Jesus. I'm your guy. I got this. And that pride that he puts on display. We all know what's going to happen, don't we? Even before I read the story this morning, most of us knew what happens in the life of Peter. We already know about Peter's failures. He doesn't have this, does he? He don't got this under control like he thinks he does. You know, we have that same problem, don't we? Well, Brother Jason, Jesus, he he hasn't told me that the devil desires to sift me like wheat. Really? Because I believe in John 10 and 10, he said to us that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, looking to devour us. He's like a roaring lion looking for those that he can pluck. He's given us the bad news that Satan is looking to prowl. He's looking to devour. He's looking to get us. Right? He's a thief in the night. He's coming. And you know what? Satan can't pluck you from the Father's hand. Once you belong to the Father, you're his. Your security is eternal. But bless God, even though Satan can't pluck you from the Father's hand, doesn't mean he can't attack and tempt and push to try and steal away your service from God, to try to kill your testimony and try to take away your joy and do everything he can to stop you from working for the Lord so that somebody else might not get to know Jesus. 
Folks, we have been given the same news that Peter was given. Satan is alive. Satan is roaring. Satan is real. Satan is a force. He's been tempting since the beginning of time. He tempted angels to fall away from heaven. My goodness, he's good at it. The last thing that we ought to do as a bunch of sinners is sit around and say, I got this. I got it, Jesus. Don't you worry about Satan. I can stand against that old wily devil. And I believe if Jesus could, could just whisper in our ear, he would, he would do like maybe your granddaddy did when you, when you acted tougher than you was and say, it's okay not to be so strong. I never said you had to do this by yourself. What I told you was realize you can't. And I can. In fact... Already did. But our pride, pride gets in the way. Look forward to verse 54 with me. Now between verse 33 and verse 54, Peter has been honoring his commitment to follow Jesus even to death. He followed him to Gethsemane. Now he may have fallen asleep when he should have been praying, but he still went to Gethsemane. He still followed. The soldiers came and they seized Jesus. So we know exactly where we're at. They, they've seized Jesus. And Peter, in his boisterous defense, to stand and say, I'll go with you even to prison. I'll go with you even to death. Lashes out and cuts the ear off of one of the soldiers. You remember the story. And here we find ourselves as Jesus is taken into the court, basically, into the high priest's house. He's going in uh, to be tried. And be presented. And Peter's what? He's following at a distance. Peter's honoring his commitment. Lord, I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with you to death. And so far, Peter's doing a pretty good job. He's following at a distance. Verse 55, we find Peter sitting in the courtyard. He's warming his hands. It's a cool night. Cool night. And he's gathered with the soldiers, he's gathered with the servants of the high priest, and he's warming his hands by the fire. And at first glance, it would seem that Peter is doing a pretty good job of honoring his commitment to God, isn't he? He's followed Jesus to the court. But if you think about it, Peter's not so much displaying a great devotion as he is displaying a great pride. Peter is essentially saying, I received my warning, and now I'm going to see just how close to this sin I can get without falling in. I'm going to see just how close to the fire I can get without burning my hands. Jesus had said, Peter said, listen, I'll go with you even to death. Jesus said, Peter, you'll deny me three times tonight. And Peter said, let me follow along. I think I got this under control. I'm going to go see what happens to Jesus. I told him I'd follow him. I'll show him. I can follow him even to the courts. I'll not deny him. He said, just, just how close can I get without getting burnt? Church, don't we ask that same question so often? That sin that we contend with regular, we say, just how close to that sin can I get without falling all the way into it, right? Just how close to that temptation can I flirt? How warm can my hands get before they begin to blister and I get stuck? 
Maybe it's a desire to watch videos that you shouldn't. And you say, well, what kind of videos can I watch without giving in to the temptation to take it a step further? And before you know it, I got this. Oops. I slipped. Maybe it's a desire to gossip. You say, I got this. I can talk to this friend that I know. I know every time we talk, it ends up in what is nothing better than a sinful session of gossip. I can talk to them about the weather. I can talk to them about baking cookies. I can talk to them about their work. Before you know it, oops, there I am right in the middle of what I said I didn't need to be part of. Well, I can live for Christ without going to the local church. I can, I can do that. I can get saved outside the church. I don't got to go to the church to get saved, so I shouldn't have to go to the church in order to serve the Lord. But the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together, right? And before you know it, oh man, I'm living a way that I shouldn't be living because I'm outside of where I ought to be. And where does that always begin? Where does that... Where does that always begin, that slide backwards? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? That one where you look up and you're so far away from where you want to be that you can't even see where you used to be. Where does it always begin? It it never starts by jumping all the way over here. It always begins with the pride that says, I got this. I can handle that. I can do that, no problem. And we take one step this way. And we say, oh, I can get back over there, I can get back over there, but we go to step and suddenly we, we go one more step. It's kind of like being in the ocean. Ever, any of you ever been to the ocean, right, and you start taking a step out and that undertow starts getting you and before you know it, you go to take a step back towards the shore and you go about three steps backwards. And then you go to take another step towards the shore, you take about three, and before you know it, you're looking and, and your beach chair is way over yonder somewhere. And you don't even know how in the world you got to where you're at. It happened just like this. Well, I don't get in the ocean. There's sharks in there and there's undertow. I I wouldn't do it if I was you. But it all starts with a pride that says what? I got this. And why in the world as a Christian would we ever want to raise our hand and say, I got this? There is absolutely, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, you can look from Genesis to Revelation as hard as you want to. There is not one jot, there's not one tittle, there's nothing in Scripture that says you're ever supposed to raise your hand and say, I got this. God never said we were supposed to be able to handle any of it. But somehow or another, we've decided we're supposed to say we got it. So there's a pride that leads us astray. Our next point this morning is there's a conviction that we must ignore. There's this conviction that we must ignore. Look back to verse 34 with me. Peter says, I got this. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you'll deny three times that you even know me. Peter says, I got this, Jesus. Don't you worry. Let Satan tempt. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny that you've ever even known me. Not once. Not twice. But three times, not in a lifetime, but before morning. Peter, this evening is not going to be over with before you've denied ever even knowing me three times. That should have stopped Peter in his tracks, shouldn't it? Shouldn't that have been the brick wall right in our face where Jesus puts it up and says, Listen, you ain't got this, big boy. You ain't got this. Remember, Peter's got it. He says, well, I'm going to stroll right up to the fire. I know what Jesus says. 
But I'm going to stroll right up to that fire and that sifting begins coming in full force, doesn't it? What's that servant girl say to him? Verse 56. Servant girl says what? This man. This man, he was, he was with Jesus. Peter says, woman, I don't know him. That statement, to start with woman, it's an exclamation, right? Woman, I don't know him. He's not happy when he says this. He's not leaving any room. He's not puny. He's not backwards. He's making a statement that is so strong that everybody there should believe it. Woman, hush your mouth. I don't know that man in there. And right there, right there, Peter has another opportunity to flee from the temptation, doesn't he? Right there, he's got a conviction that comes upon his heart, that comes upon his life, and he has another chance to do what he should have done in the first place and turn and run as hard as he can and say, Jesus, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. You're right, Jesus, I ain't got it, I ain't got it, I ain't got it. You say, where does that say that, Brother Jason? I I don't see that at the end of verse 57. It doesn't say then Peter felt a great conviction. Hang on, let me tell you where we get that. One, if he's a believer, then at this point you already know what happens when you start sinning, don't you? You get that conviction, don't you? But I got even more proof for you. Look real quick with me at Mark's account here. At Mark's account here. Now back in verse 68, and I'm sorry, Miss Loretta, I didn't get you that one. But back in verse 68, uh, we find out that, that Jesus has, has, has given Peter the warning that the rooster is going to crow twice But he's going to deny him before it happens three times. Now, if you look back at verse 68, you would see that after this happens, when the servant girl says something uh, to Peter and he denies her the rooster crow the first time, right? Jesus didn't leave Peter without a reminder. That rooster rooster crowed that first time in verse 68. Verse 72, Peter It says he didn't forget it. He remembered what Jesus has said to him before the rooster crows twice. You'll deny me thrice before you. Before that rooster. Before that happens twice, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. Now, I'm no real Bible scholar. I'm not the greatest in the world, but I I am pretty good at walking around since. And I can remember this. When somebody told me, you're going to hear this two times and you're going to do something bad, I'm pretty sure after I heard it the first time, I'd go, whoop. Wait a minute. Peter says, woman, I don't know him. And I believe Peter said, "Uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. Right there at the end of verse 57, the rooster crows. Peter said, wait a minute. That's my warning shot. Jesus said, I'm going to deny him three times. You ever have one of those reminders from, from Jesus? The Holy Spirit of God ever put one of those reminders in your path? You know what I'm talking about. You're getting ready to do something that you just flat know you ought not be doing. Let's be honest, we all do it. 
getting ready to do something that you absolutely know you ought not be doing, and something called conviction steps in the pit of your stomach and says, you don't need to be doing this. And you look down at conviction, you say, shut up, conviction, I'm going to do it anyway. And you step over and you get right into it, and you know what I'm talking about. You already know you ought not be doing it. You had to tell conviction to shut up before you ever got started. And you get started with it, and suddenly you're right there in the middle of it, and you get a little nudge. Says, I told you, you ought not be doing this. That's why it's so hard to get started. That's where Peter's at right now. He's got an opportunity to flee from the temptation. Just like you got an opportunity right before you head, head long further down that road than you ought to go. You get that nudge. And that, my friends, is where if we had any sense, son, if we had any sense at all, we'd look at that and go, whoa, man, don't need to go that way. I need to go back this way. Jesus, I ain't got this. I lied to you. I said I had it. I didn't have it. Look what happens to Peter, though. Verse 58. He stays, right? Pride. Says, I still got this. That rooster was just what? Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that I was going to sin. I'm not going to do it no more, Jesus. I got it. Let me stay here a little longer, warming my hands. Verse 58, after about a little while, one said, hey, you're one of them. Peter said, man, I am not. Another emphatic explanation. Man, I am not. Another hour later. Can you imagine how long that hour was for Peter? Feeling bad on one hand, didn't he? Can't believe that I did that. Jesus said I was going to do it. He gave me the rooster's crow the first time. I said I wasn't going to do it no more. Somebody pointed me out. Man, my fear and my pride took over, and there I was. said, I don't know him. Then on the other hand, I believe Peter said, well, it's been an hour since anybody asked me. I might make it through the night. I'll just stay here. Been an hour. Surely I'll be all right. Then, here comes the last one. This man, it says he confidently affirmed. Confidently affirmed. That means that this guy come around the corner, saw Peter and said, Hey, 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 this guy right here, I know for a fact. I know that this cat right here, he was with that Jesus. He's a Galilean. Look, he, he comes from the same neck of the woods. They're thick as thieves. I'm telling you, this is Jesus' man right here and Peter emphatically says, man, I don't even know what you're speaking of. If you look at Mark's account of the same story, Mark says that he cursed him. This man, this man was with Jesus. He's a Galilean. Peter says, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you're saying. You best hush your mouth, big boy. Me and you's fixing to tussle. You say that one more time, there's going to be a punishment. I don't know Jesus. Don't you lump me into that category. Peter looks up. He sees Jesus. Jesus walking by looks to Peter. And it all comes flooding back. 
Don't we all find ourselves in this place from time to time? I mean, this is the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. Verse 62 says, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He flees now. Now he takes off, right? Brings us to our final point this morning. And thank Lord for this point. There is grace in spite of our failures. There is grace in spite of our failures. Peter has finally made his way to where we all get eventually. He's hit rock bottom. That's what this is. He has hit the bottom. He says, I cannot believe what Jesus said I was going to do. Jesus sent me all kinds of warnings. Jesus gave me all kinds of chances. And I went on and done exactly what I said I wasn't going to do in the begin with. I failed just like he said he would. I have betrayed the Savior. A few hours ago, I was having an argument with my best friends about which one of us was the best friend to Jesus. Just, just a few hours ago, I was having a discussion about which one of us would be the greatest in his kingdom, and now I've betrayed him. I've betrayed even knowing Jesus this very night. Praise God for the truth of Romans 5, 8, when it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait on us to get clean before he died for us. He didn't die for those of us that deserved it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do you know Peter's forgiven, Brother Jason? Look back at verse 32 with me real quick. I know we've, we've bounced around a lot. Look back at verse 32 with me. Jesus has said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But, ain't but a, a great big three-letter word, but... I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus is telling Peter, he's foretelling of Peter's failures. Listen, I know what you're about to say. I know what you think you got, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to fail. You're going to fall away. You're going to go away. You're going to be gone. You're not going to be obedient. You're not going to do what you're supposed to do. Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me. But Peter, what I want you to know is that you're going to come back to me. I'm going to call you back to myself because that's what I do. I forgive my children and I call them back to myself. And Peter, when you get here, in spite of your failures, I've got a job for you to do. You're going to take all your failures. You're going to take all those mistakes. You're going to take all of that grief. You're going to take all that that you got, and you're going to use it to strengthen the others because your brethren are going to need you. I'm going to go away. And when I go away, there's people that are going to need to know that they can stand on the rock in which I build my church. I gave you that name for a reason. And I knew you were going to fail, but I still got something for you to do. When the angel speaks to Mary on the, on the resurrection day, when the, when the ladies get there and they realize that the tomb is empty and the angel is sitting there, if you look at the Gospel of Mark, it says that the, Mary, the angel says to Mary, he says, hey, go and tell Peter and the disciples. Why would, why would that have been necessary? Why wouldn't the angel have just said, go tell the disciples? Wasn't Peter one of the disciples? No, at that time, Peter, the last time he had seen Jesus, he ran away bitterly weeping. Peter wouldn't have been sure that Jesus wanted him there. In fact, Peter would have spent most of these three days 
thinking to himself that Jesus would never forgive him, thinking to himself, I'm not worthy to go and be there with Jesus. I'm not worthy to go and face him again. I'm not sure that I can look him in the eyes again because in his darkest hour I betrayed him. But the angel says, make sure Peter knows he needs to be in Galilee. Make sure Peter knows that he needs to be there. Friends, in spite of Peter's failures, Jesus, by his grace, not because of what Peter had done, not because of what Peter was worth, but by the grace of Jesus Christ, he said, Peter, you have a ministry to fulfill in spite of all your failures. Thank God for that grace. None of us deserve to be used by God. But by his grace, he uses us anyway. The storms, the trials, the temptations. You know what Jesus says we can do with them? Use them. You know that darkest hour of your life that you'd just soon not tell anybody else about? You know what God says he can do with it? He can use it. You know that section of your life where you weren't doing what you were supposed to do and you've hit it way down in that corner of your heart in the recesses of your mind to never come out again? You know what God says He can do with it? He can use it. What can He use it for? To strengthen somebody else that may be about to go through the same storm. Maybe... Maybe, just maybe, you were delivered from that trial to prevent somebody else from walking through the same storm. That you might be able to say a word to somebody, put your arm around them and say, listen, I know, I know that you think that you're tough enough to go to that lunch with that coworker of the opposite sex, but let me tell you where this ends up. I know that it feels innocent right now, but let me tell you how this story ends. I lost a marriage because of this. Don't go. You don't got it. You can hide it. You can cover it up. You can bury it. You can stick it in that closet. You know that one closet in the living room where you put everything when somebody's coming? You can, you can put that way in the back of that closet, never to be seen again. Or you can do what God says he can do with it. You can pull it out and you can use it to strengthen somebody else. You can say, listen, I done went through that. I done been there. Don't go where I went. Flee from temptation before it's too late. My friends, you cannot spell testimony without the word test. Your test, your past, and your trials. If God has delivered you from them, he has done it, that you might strengthen someone else through them. (coughs) Let me say this again. If God has delivered you from them, he has done it for the purpose that you might strengthen somebody else through him. So how do we respond to this message this morning? Excuse me. First, we say, God, I don't got this. That's different, right? God, I, I don't, I don't got this. I can't do this. I don't have the power. I don't have the ability. God, I should. God, I've been in church my whole life. I ought to be able to deal with this probably. But God, I, I ain't got it. I don't know. God, I don't know how to forgive them. God, I don't know how to love them. God, I don't know how to go talk to them. God, I don't know how to pray for them. 
God, I don't know how to, how to do this. God said, I never said you should. Don't think that you're better than you are. Say, God, I don't got this. God, I need your help. Strengthen me that I can be obedient to you. Second, God, help me to respond to my convictions and repent. God, when I'm in that season and your conviction comes upon me, give me the strength to obey my convictions and not my desires. God, when you come against me and you nudge me and you tell me I ought not be there, give me the strength to turn and honor you and not give in to my desires. And third, God, give me the courage to stop pretending that I've never sinned and help me to use my testimony to strengthen someone else who's going through the same storms that I've been here. And finally this morning, if you're here and you don't know without a shadow of a doubt that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you may have said, I got to fix this. I got to fix that. I got too many problems in my life to, to come to Christ right now. I got to get this straight. I got to get that straight. Friends, you can't get it straight. You can try from now on. Peter saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. He couldn't get through one night without denying him three times. You're not good enough. You ain't strong enough. But by his grace, he is. Come this morning and be saved. Let us pray. Father God, God, we thank you so much for your grace. That God, in spite of all of our failures, all of our shortcomings, all of our mistakes, God, you love us enough to convict us. And you love us enough to call us back into communion with you. And that we don't have to be separated from you. God, we can be safe in the arms of Christ. So God, calls your church to repent from our sins. To turn from the things that hinder us from worshiping you. To turn from the things that stop us from serving you. To heed your convictions. And be obedient to you and not to our desires. God, give us the strength to realize we're not strong and the courage to admit it. Help us to edify one another with our own storms. And God, if there be someone here who's never accepted you as Savior and Lord, God, would you please save them this morning? Would you give them the courage to respond to the conviction. See, God, I surrender all. God, help us to surrender this morning to you where we can truly be used. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please stand. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.